How does a person uh, born with an endemic sin nature, um, which you cannot deny, um, find a relationship with the living God who is absolutely holy? Uh, well, um, according to the Old Testament, when God disclosed how a sinful man could approach him, uh, he said it was by means of substitutionary sacrifice that he selected. And so when he established uh, uh, Levitical law on what types of sacrifices that you had to bring uh, first to the tabernacle and later to the temple, uh, he delineated exactly which ones you needed to bring to find uh, cleansing. Leviticus 1 introduces you to the burnt offering, which is just uh, basically uh, a blood sacrifice for payment and sins in general. Uh, after you would offer that, uh, and this, by if you study it, is placing your hands on the little lamb and confessing your sin on it. So your sin is transferred to the substitute. Uh, once your sin was uh, cleansed by the shedding of the blood of the burnt offering, you could then offer a peace offering, which basically said between you and God, there was now shalom, because you had come and offered the, the correct kind of sacrifice. There was also, uh, in Leviticus chapter 3, or in 4, uh, what was called the sin offering. That, that God said, I will provide this particular blood uh, offering uh, for you to use uh, for unintentional sins that you didn't know you did, uh, but you did. And then there was also the trespass uh, offering uh, offered with blood sacrifice, Leviticus 5. Uh, this was uh, done between injured parties. If you had offended somebody, done a sin against somebody, uh, you would offer this to restore that relationship. But ultimately, it was a, about a broken relationship with God. He's holy and you're not. And a trespass offering uh, merely restored that relationship. So restoration with God, uh, if you're a sinner, uh, means you come to God on his terms. In his terms, in the Old Testament, we're offering the prescribed sacrifice with the prescribed priest. You had to have the right sacrifice with the right priest. Uh, there were limitations to that system. Uh, Levitic, uh, from the book of Leviticus, we see it in action. Uh, the author of Hebrews tells us the limitations in chapter 10, uh, verse 11, where the author says, Every priest stands daily ministering the offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, just temporary. But he, speaking of Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. No priest ever sat down because their job was never finished. Jesus did. He says he was waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made his footstool for his feet. This is when he comes back as king. First he comes as a, as a sacrifice, then he comes as the, as the king. For by one offering it says... He has perfected, speaking of Jesus, for all time, those who are sanctified. See, what Jesus did is he took the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament, which by definition looked for one to come who was greater than the system, and he completed it perfectly because he had a perfect life. Uh, the Old Testament is very clear. Uh, Isaiah 7.14 says that the Messiah we call, will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. They were told that God is coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 uh, gives you the names of the Messiah, uh, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. They knew that the God-man was coming, but not many were listening. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 uh, tells you the city he will be born in will be Bethlehem, and it will use some of the most ancient language words there in Hebrew that you can construct to talk about an eternal one. Who's eternal but God? The God-man was coming. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lucer, who pastored uh, Moody Bible Church for, I don't know, 40, 50 years, a great man of God, wrote this about sacrifice. He said, a sacrifice must be equal to the offense committed. Because our sin is against an infinite God, we need a sacrifice of infinite value. 
It follows that only God can supply the sacrifice that he demands. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus was the infinite sacrifice because he's infinitely God. See, this is all what Isaiah 53 is about. 800 years before Christ came in 5 BC, Isaiah the prophet prophesied as his nation disintegrated around him in immorality. Um, injustice was everywhere. Just read chapter 5, the woe chapter of the Old Testament of what happens to a nation when they forsake God. But in the middle of all of that, uh, God prophesies that I'm going to send uh, a savior. That's Isaiah 53 pointing to a, a perfect sacrifice. Uh, the Davidic uh, Psalms uh, tell us much about the Messiah. One of the Messianic Psalms, Psalm 110, prophesies in addition to Isaiah 53, and that not only will the Savior uh, be the sacrifice, uh, he's also going to be a, an, well, he's going to be a priest of a special order, way beyond the Aaronic order, which is the Melchizedekian order. See, Jesus was going to fulfill all these things. He's going to be the sacrifice. He's going to be the, the king He's going to be the high priest. He fulfilled all these things when he came. That's why we can call Good Friday Good Friday, because he fulfilled what was foretold by the prophets. I would be remiss uh, in my job and my calling as a pastor before we dig into this and you get uh, into the details with us. If I didn't ask you, if you don't know Christ, one simple question. Why, why, is, he, why is he not your Lord? You might be sitting there thinking to myself, well, I'm, I'm waiting for more evidence. And I would say he's given you probably enough. And instead of saying, why should I follow Christ? You should be saying, why not? Why not? He fulfills everything that was prophesied down to the letter in Isaiah 53. By way of review, uh, we've looked at the main motif of Isaiah 53, uh, which actually starts uh, in the Hebrew text in chapter 52, verse 13, uh, because uh, in the original text, uh, there weren't uh, chapters and verse notations. Uh, those were put in there to help us read it and to find things. Uh, but we've looked at the main motif of this passage, which is simple. Salvation of a sinner is grounded on the servant's degradation uh, and his exaltation. That first Christ had to be crucified, degraded, and then he would be exalted to a place on high. That's where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He had to have these two things to be able to redeem us sinners from sin. By way of review, the, the great uh, prophecy uh, has these components. If you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, I'll just do a quick uh, overview of what we have studied thus far. Uh, chapter uh, 52, verses 13 to 15, introduces you to what I called the mystery of the servant, Jesus. And the mystery is uh, that God was going to leave heaven and become the God-man and be rejected by his own people, be beaten to the point where you wouldn't even recognize it's him. And you have to ask yourself, did that happen to Jesus? Absolutely. Uh, Isaiah 53, 1 to 3, uh, talks about the rejection of the servant. Uh, and you have to ask yourself, did his people by and large reject him when they saw him? Yes. He wasn't anything like what they thought he was going to be. He was uh, off the grid concerning what they wanted. But he was the servant that came to die for their sins. Verses 4 to 6 talk about the atonement of the servant. Uh, uh, atonement just means... Uh, that which covers and that which cleanses. And according to God, the only thing that cleanses sin is sacrifice, blood sacrifice. And the only kind of sacrifice that atones for sin for all time is, is the sacrifice of the Son of God. Then in verses 7 to 9, we looked at the submission of the servant, that Jesus, knowing what his mission was going to be, came anyway. And we said, well, why would he come? One word. Remember the word? Monosyllabic. Love. If you ever wondered, does God love me? Absolutely he does. He came, died for you, 
That's the epitome of love, so that you could have a relationship with him when you come to him in faith. We want to finish out this great uh, prophecy by looking at verses 10 to 12. Remember I told you if you were here, how many were here? So don't lie, it's a good Friday, please. How many were here are the other, as we looked at the other passages? Okay. So uh, if I tested you on what inclusio means, you would totally know, right? Yeah, so inclusio means what you start with is what you end with. If you're an attorney, you can build a case. It's good like this. Start this way, end this way. If you're in a speech class, Toastmasters, whatever, it's a great way to deliver a message because that way your audience knows exactly what you're talking about. What did he talk about in this great prophecy? That the, prop, that the prophecy is concerning the degradation of the Messiah and the exaltation of the Messiah. That's the beginning. That's in chapter 52, 13 to 15. He's going to circle back at the end, and he's going to say, just in case you forgot what I prophesied, when the God-man comes, he will be degraded, and then he will be exalted. Degradation is Good Friday. Exaltation is, well, Sunday. Let's uh, look at his exaltation. That's what he's going to close here, this passage with. Uh, it says in verse 10, uh, but the Lord was pleased. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, means uh, Yahweh, the great name of God, the, the verbal name of God. When, when um, Moses asked God at the burning bush in Exodus 3, uh, I, I need a name. It will be the first thing the Jewish people want to know. I've talked to you, what is your name? And God says, my name is the verb I am. Tell them I am sent you. Stressing, that's a whole sermon series in and of itself, but he's an ontological reality that is outside of time and space. He's, he's the fir first cause with no, he creates all things. He has no cause. He's purely actualized. He wasn't potential in any, any way possible. He's the great I am. I am. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Uh, in the Hebrew text, uh, this is a very strong way to create a dis disjunctive sentence. Because uh, if you're reading this in Hebrew from right to left uh, with the little verbs being below the consonants, um, it's really quite thrilling to do. I must submit it to you. But when you see this in the text, you can't help but see that God's taking you by, uh, you know, the lapels of your coat, and he's shaking you, and he said, no, you need to pay attention to verse 10. Because what he does here is he takes the, the, the Hebrew verb and, which is vav, like the German uh, W sounds like a V. He takes the, the word and, and he weds it to the name Yahweh. And that's totally unusual in Hebrew to start that way. You usually start with a verb. He's, he says, no, I want to get your attention. But the Lord God crushed him. Crushed him. You have to think of yourself, if you're a father with a son, would you be pleased to crush your son? When you think about this, uh, concerning the suffering servant as prophesied, says he, he was pleased in crushing him and pleased in putting him to grief. Shocking words, aren't they? That the father would do this. Why in the world was the father pleased? Is he sadistic? You can talk. Was he sadistic? Is he? Is he? No. Well, then what was the father, the holy father, pleased about? I can tell you what he was pleased about. He went to his son and said, you're the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I want you to go to the world. And I, and I want you to take on the form of a servant, like a nobody. And you're going to go to the cross and you're going to die on that cross for the sins of mankind. And when he sees his son, look at him and say, Father, I'll do that. Out of love for them, I'll do that. That would make any dad proud. He's pleased that his son was selfless in his substitution. You see, God providentially planned uh, this whole event. Uh, you could say, uh, who, who killed Jesus? Well, the Romans, Pilate, 
the lictors, the crucifixion detail, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. We could check all these boxes, correct? But who providentially killed him? His father. And he was pleased to do it. Why? Because that would be the way by which you, a sinner, could find a relationship with him. And if you ever thought that God doesn't love me, you need to think again. Uh, it says here that he, uh, in, the, in the text, that if he would render himself as a guilt offering, uh, this would uh, cause the father to be pleased. A guilt offering. We didn't talk about that one earlier. A guilt offering, uh, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 16, and chapter 6, verse 4, uh, tip, typically focused on restitution. Something has happened, something terrible has happened, and you need restitution to fix things. Uh, and so this particular sacrifice, this blood sacrifice uh, between a man who's sinful and God who is holy, shows that you offer this sacrifice and you've paid that which is called for by God to restore that relationship because that relationship was broken when Adam sinned. And so he says the father would be pleased if the son would render himself as a guilt offering and did he? Yeah, he did. He paid the ultimate price. Remember, sin against an infinite God calls for an infinite one to fulfill the need to be the sacrifice before God. And that was Jesus. As you look at what Christ said, uh, if you continue to read the text in verse 10, it's going to then uh, launch you into, well, what I would call five wonderful results of the fact that Christ was the guilt offering for you and for me. Five wonderful results. He talks about it, and I'll highlight the words so you can see him, starting in verse 10. It says that if he will do this, and we know that he did do it, uh, it says, number one, that he, this servant, the Messiah, he will see his offspring. This is very interesting. What this means is this. Result number one, uh, that he, he who had no physical progeny because he died at the prime of life, not married, would have spiritual progeny. See, by definition, it tells you, that little statement right there, by definition, tells you the fact that he would die but then see his offering, offspring tells you that he was going to be resurrected if they were paying attention. I love Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For it was fitting for him, speaking about Jesus, for whom are all things and whom, by whom are all things. He's the glue of the cosmos, by the way. Uh, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. His sufferings made him perfect as the perfect sacrifice so that when you come to know him as the Savior, he takes great joy as you, you're a, now a son and a daughter when you come to him in faith to take you to glory. What happens when you die? Well, if you're a saint, that next breath is heavenly air. And who has taken you to glory? Lord. You know, on a side note, you, are you going to recognize him when you see him? I'm sure you will. Will you recognize his voice when he calls your name? Absolutely. You'll know him. It says he, he fulfilled the prophecy because he who had no children would have many children. If you're a Christian here tonight, hopefully you'll take some time tonight to say, Lord, thank you that you allowed me a sinner to be a son. And if you're a woman, Lord, thank you for allowing me to, be, who was a sinful woman, to be a, a, a sinless woman before you because of your righteousness you've shared with me. Result number two, said he would, uh, he, that he would give long life, really eternal life, to his children. It says in verse 10 that he would prolong his days. He would prolong his days. Boy, the scriptures are all focused on this fact, 
Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says things like this many times. For this is the will of my Father, uh, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. What did he just do? He just said, I'm, I'm fulfilling uh, the, that part of Isaiah 53, which said that the Messiah would be able to prolong life, prolong his days. Well, he laid his life down, and he took his life up, just like he said he would. And now anyone that comes to him in faith, you pass from death to life. Life, eternal life. He shares that with you. Result number two. Result number three uh, says in verse 10, and, the, and the, he would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is uh, basically saying in the prophecy that God's redemptive plan regarding the servant would, would be unstoppable. You cannot stop God. Think of this. Could, could a betrayal by one of your closest disciples stop the redemptive plan of the Father? Answer? Uh, no, no. Uh, could a Jewish crowd chanting at the end of the week crucify him, stop the plan of God? No. Could Herod mocking and laughing him stop the plan of God? No. Could Pilate, who didn't have the guts to free an innocent man, stop the plan of God to redeem mankind? No. No. Could a cross stop the plan of God? No. Could all the demons and the minions, who probably laughed when they finally got him on that cross, could they stop the redemptive plan of Isaiah 53? No. Why? Because it's prophesied that the good pleasure of the Lord Yahweh will prosper in his hand, in the hand of the Messiah, Jesus. He's unstoppable. Result number four uh, says in verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. Uh, the word it is not in the Hebrew text. So let's read it that way. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. Well, what's the it there for? So that we who read English can better understand the sentence, hopefully. But if you take it out, it's just straight talking about the satisfaction. And he, because of the anguish of his soul, he, the Messiah, would see it and be satisfied. What is he, what is he talking about? Uh, I think what he's talking about is that the Lord himself, even though crucified, would live to see the amazing results of the cross. Let's stop for just a second. When did you get saved? Just tell me. Just stand up and say the year, if you know it. Some people do, some people don't. If you don't know the, don't freak out on me right now. Just, if you know the day, I know the day and time. Do you know the day and time? No, I told you to stand. No. November 26, 1992. Amen. November 10, 1970. You got to stand. Oh, November 10, 1976. 76? Twenty seventeen. You're a newbie. This is good. When were you saved? Nineteen eighty three. It was a good year. Yeah, we could keep doing this, right? And why are we why are we talking about that? I don't did we get anybody over here? Any Christians in this section? <laughs> Two thousand and four. Anyone else? February nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy eight. Yes. 84? September 16, 2017. 
2017. We could continue to do this. We'll let the people in the stadium seating off tonight. When? Of what year? The, last year. Yeah. 2021. So you, you got saved during COVID. Never forget that. So why are we talking about that? Well, it says that result number four, that he, he the Messiah, would see amazing results. And, and, and when he saw amazing results of the cross, um, he would be satisfied. So what does that mean? When you think about when you got saved, that's when the Lord looked down from his throne and he said, when he saw your salvation, that makes me so happy you did that. I, I know your name. I know your name. I, 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 I saved you. I'm satisfied. Because at that point, then the cross had total meaning because you're getting saved based on what he did. That's what that's about. He will see it. No, not it. He will see you. He'll see you. Now, for me, it was uh, September, I think it was the 7th, 1967. I got saved. And school was the next day, the first day of class. I told all my friends at lunch I got saved, and they looked at me like I was from Mars. That's when I knew being a disciple of Christ was not going to be simple. But I was saved. When I got saved, uh, the old, the old uh, deacon that came and took me out of the pastor's hands and led me off to the side um, said, Welcome to God's family. Result. Result number five. It says, uh, by his knowledge, the righteous one of my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. What's the result? Is that he would legally secure your forgiveness. That you would not be guilty before God anymore. Never. Because at that moment of faith, when you stood before his throne, the gavel came down in his courtroom and the father said, not guilty. You have the righteousness of my son. Paul talks about this, the great rabbi who came to know Christ. After persecuting Christians for many years, uh, he ran into the risen Christ. And Jesus, I mean, we know, I mean, what Jesus told him. I've been on that Damascus Road area. It's very beautiful in the Golan Heights. And Jesus told him, Paul, why are you kicking against, against the goads? Why are you doing that? Paul writes about uh, coming to know Christ. And in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Romans he says, for as one, through one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded more. When you think about Christ, he's the one capable of well, granting life to those who are under the sign of Adam. He, he, he can justify you. This is the great word of Romans. Paul talks about it in Chapter 5, eloquently. And what is salvation? It's when you come to Christ in faith that he's the Savior and you're the sinner. At that precise mystical moment, the gavel comes down. And what does the Father say? Not guilty. Why? Because you're related to his son by faith. In verse 12, the, the great prophecy culminates concerning the work of the Christ uh, by talking about two gifts. Gift number one uh, that the Father says, he says, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. Gift number one, uh, he says that the, 
the son, as we've seen, uh, who would not be seen as great in his day, as we talked about last week, as it was prophesied, he, he didn't even look like he would have been the great savior by what he physically looked like. But it says here, the father says, because of what he's done, I'll, I'll, I'll allot him a portion with the great. Translated, he's going to be the greatest man that ever walked the planet. He's the God man. Is he? Yeah. He's the greatest man. Because the greatest man who ever walked the earth had no sin, took our sin, and went to the cross and paid for our sin with his life. That's a great man. When you go through the book of Revelation and you'll run into Christ many times when you do, uh, one of the things that he is called in the Greek text is pantokrator. Panto meaning all in Greek. Krator from the Greek word krateo, which means power, strength. Combine those two words together, all in strength means all power. What does Jesus possess? Omnipotence. He had the power necessary to do what a great man needed to do to save sinners. Gift number two says in verse 12, uh, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Why? Well, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of the many, and he interceded for transgressors like you and me. What's the gift? The father promises the son. Well, that he would divide the booty of the victory. He would divide it. He would share. What's this about? Well, I told you earlier, he, he first came as the suffering servant. Well, the next time he's coming back as the king of kings and lord of lords. And when he establishes his kingdom and, and deals, deals with evil and gets rid of injustice and replaces it with justice and brings righteousness and where there's no righteousness and brings peace where there's unrest, when he, the king, returns, according to Psalm chapter 2, he will share his wealth with all of his saints. You're going to be there. You're going to be there. See, he made it possible for you to be there because he paid for your sin so that when you humble yourself before him, he will look down and say, I am satisfied in your, in your faith. I will redeem you. I will atone for you. Daniel chapter uh, 7 talks about the work of Christ that's coming he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, uh, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. That's just a code word for Jesus. Jesus actually uses this word in the Gospels concerning himself. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, who's sitting on the throne, and he was presented before him. And to him, the Messiah, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, the nations, the man of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I don't know about you, when I look at this old sinful earth, I think it's getting more wicked as the day goes by. But what's it tell me as a man of faith? Well, the Savior has provided the means whereby sinners can become saints. And it also tells me, King is coming. Do you know him? Why should you follow Christ as the Messiah? Why not? He fulfilled everything that was prophesied concerning him. Mathematically, that is impossible. But he's the essence of the suffering servant. Prophesied to die in your place. If you do not know him, it's the simple faith of a child to simply say, Lord, save me a sinner, and he will. And if you do know him, Hopefully in the, this evening when you go home in the quietness of the hour, you can pause and say, Lord, thank you for the crown of thorns that you wore for me. 
Thank you for the nails that should have been mine. Thank you for that splintery old cross that you bore your body on. I should have been there. Thank you for being mocked and mistreated. Should have been me. How could I ever forget to? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And we who know you, adore you, love you, uh, and we worship you, for you are the great I am, the King of kings, the servant of all servants. And for those uh, that are either online or in our body tonight who don't know you, might this be the night that they move away from unbelief and take a small step forward in belief to say, Lord, forgive me a sinner and you shall redeem them. We praise you. We adore you. We look forward to Resurrection Day. Thank you for what you've done for us. Amen.